The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Let's Get Radical is brought to you by Avalara, sales tax automation for businesses of all sizes. Visit us on the web at avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Welcome to the business show that will change the way you look at your business practice, your organization, and yourself. This is Let's Get Radical with Liz Gold and Jody Paydar. On today's show, you'll get the straight scoop on what it means to be radical and how it can help you become the next success story. Now, here are your hosts, Jody and Liz. Hey, Liz, are you ready? Oh my God, Jody, I we're so ready. We were ready before. Before we the music even started on this show, wow! Um, we must be like really super super ready. How are you today? I am good, and um, I'm like sitting here in the snow in Chicago. So, oh wow, um, it's nice and cold here. But um, yeah, and where are you now? Well, I'm about three hours uh, from Portland, Oregon. I, you know, and uh, I don't know. Most of maybe our listeners know, or maybe you guys don't, but I have been traveling, moving from Brooklyn, New York to Portland, Oregon. So me and my partner and our dog and our 26 foot truck have been (laughs) traveling around um, the United States and I've never done a cross country trip. So it's been actually really beautiful. I have to say. That's awesome. But you can kind of do that because you're a freelancer, right? Yeah. You know, I'm a freelancer, solopreneur, you know, and uh, I can work from the road, you know, sending emails from my phone while my person drives. It's really, it's great. I have to say, like, you know, this is the type of life I wanted um, because you just cannot get that in a corporate job, right? And, And I know you've been like a freelancer and then you were back to corporate and now you're a freelancer again. So what kind of made you decide like you were going to stick your foot back in the corporate world and then you, you said, no, I'm done. You know, um, it's, it's rough being a freelancer, especially in New York, you know, there's high taxes and you have to pay health insurance. And I think for me, um, I was living actually back in Portland, Oregon. And when I moved back to New York for the second time, I decided that I was going to get a job and, um, my partner, uh, went to grad school. And so I needed something that was going to be a little bit more stable. So I had health insurance and I had a regular, um, you know, salary, but really, <laughs> I did that for about a year and a half, and it was um, it really took a lot out of me. I mean, I, I, as much as I love being around people and checking into an office every day and working on a team and having a regular paycheck, who doesn't love that? Um, the, just the corporate environment was not really for me, and um, having to just be doing one thing all the time, um, and being on somebody else's schedule and telling me like when I had to be here and when I didn't, you know, when I could go home, they were not flexible about that at all. Really. Um, I I was just like, yeah, it's not, it's not really, I'm not really cut out for it. So luckily when I left, I, you know, had some work lined up and I have to say I've been lucky ever since. So it's been a good move for me. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I know you're like a bazillion other people because like the whole, I will say the whole economy. I know it's not the whole economy, but there's like a whole new economy of all these freelancers and they have to band together somehow, correct? Yeah. And, um, you know, we're lucky today because we're going to be talking to somebody from the Freelancers Union, which is, you know, an organization that um, is actually the nation's largest group representing the growing independent workforce because, you know, Nearly one in three Americans, I have to say, is an independent worker. That's 54 million people. This is according to the Freelancers Union statistics. So we actually have Caitlin Pierce today here on our show. She's the director of member engagement at the Freelancers Union. And, um, you know, she oversees advocacy, education, and community growth for the 300,000 member union. So that's a lot of people, right? And I am a member of the Freelancers Union, and I have to say, like, they have great discounts. You can get health insurance. They have really fun events that you can go and network with other freelancers. And they also do, they, you know, they look to get, um, they work on legislation, you know, to advocate, advocate for um, freelancers. So without further ado, let's bring on Caitlin. Caitlin Pierce, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. <laughs> Yeah, we're really glad glad you're here. And um, so, so I mean, I gave a little bit of a description of the freelancers union, but you know, can you? What do you guys do? Like, what do you? What are the issues you advocate for? What do you? Who do you work? Like, I don't want to say who do you work against, but like, what do you guys do? You know, how do you help freelancers? Yeah, well, freelancers union, and thanks for the great intro for us. Um, you know, we've been around <laughs> since 1995. And um, as you said, we are a national membership organization, so we have three freelancers from all over the country um, and actually all over the world. Um, and uh, to join the union is free. And, um, you know, the main things that we do are we're set out to give freelancers a voice and to represent their most pressing needs and um, to bring members together together. Uh, so that as a group, we can access things more affordably. Um, health insurance and um, other types of benefits that freelancers need has been a big thing we've done. Uh, so we have this whole benefits platform where you can get retirement and disability and dental insurance and life insurance and um, all different types of products that are tailored to freelancers. Um, and then we do a lot of different types of advocacy work, um, both here in New York, where we're headquartered, um, and, uh, and on a national level. And those, you know, the top issues for us are really oriented around the things most important to freelancers. So, um, you know, having a voice, making sure that we're actually being heard um, on, um, by policymakers, um, and then having access to affordable health care, which is a huge challenge for freelancers, mm-hmm. and then having, you know, basic rights and protections um, when it comes to um, getting treated fairly by employers. Um, and one of the big things we did this year was our um, Freelancers and Free campaign, which was around the issue of uh, non-payment uh, that many freelancers face. Yeah, congratulations on that win. I know it, it came through in October, right? And it was a, you know, landmark victory, basically, with, um, you know, a lot, like, a lot of people, you had a lot of freelancers involved with that. So what what exactly does that legislation do? It is the first of its kind. So we had to come up with the legislation. We've been working on it for many years here in New York, um, and um, it's a piece of New York City legislation. 
Um, and the idea was to model it in a city um, and uh, see if we could then replicate it and bring it to other cities. But there's a few basic protections. Um, the first one is if you're working with a freelancer, you have to have a contract, and that burden falls on the client, not the freelancer. And this is to make sure that, you know, to help strengthen freelance work agreements and to make sure there's clear expectations at the outset between both parties. Um, sometimes we found it's very hard for our members to to get a contract, and that's where um, that's where problems can start happening when you're working together. Um, and then uh, on the other side, it has protections that are designed to help make sure freelancers get paid on time. Um, so uh, if you have a contract, the client has to honor the payment terms of the contract. Um, and if there isn't a contract, then the freelancer um, it has to get paid within 30 days of completing uh, the work that was uh, part of the agreement. Um, and if a client doesn't do that, a freelancer can now has the right to go either to um, the New York City Office of Labor Standards and file a claim, and this department will now help freelancers resolve those complaints, um, or they can go to small claims court, uh, which they could do before, but now they could potentially be awarded double damages and attorney's fees, and there's a whole new set of penalties for um, for companies that don't pay their freelancers on time. Wow. So that's that's an extra layer. It's a lot of more protection than there was before. And, I mean, do you feel that clients are actually aware of these new um, rules, uh, you know, I mean, and how do, how would the freelancer sort of educate them? Is it, do you feel like it's the job of the freelancer to say, hey, I mean, obviously it's the job of the freelancer to say, hey, look, here's my contract, please sign it, you know, but, um, you know, how do you educate your client around, this is actually law? <laughs> right. Well, I think, you know, as you, as you said, the key is there really wasn't any um, law outside of contract law governing um, when people mm-hmm. had to pay their freelancers. You know, if you're an employer, you know that you have to pay your employees with a certain amount of time or it's against the law. And it's those businesses' jobs to know um, to be in compliance as a good employer, right? There was nothing really guiding how you had to pay freelancers. And so what would often happen is that companies would either pay them when they paid their other vendors, so like, you know, in a 30, mm-hmm. 60, 90, 120 day schedule, um, which which could work for some um, vendor relationships, but really isn't fair when you're an individual and you have to pay your rent and, and do all these other things. Um, and then, um, so the law is just got signed uh, on November 16th into law, and it will then go into getting implemented by the middle of May this year. And so what we're really working on is educating both companies and uh, freelancers across the city about this new law as it, as you know, as the city gets ramped up to put it into effect. So that'll be a big project for us because I think there's not, um, there's not a good understanding right now of, um, of what this legislation will look like for folks. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I would like to back up a second and like, what is a definition of a freelancer? Is a freelancer one person or is a fruit or cause I know like, cause when I think as far as like, I think companies, right. I don't think in terms of people, right. Like if I engage you, um, and you're a, a company, but then you sub out the work, is that considered a freelancer or is it only one person, one worker and that's 
all a freelancer is. So how do you guys define what a freelancer is? Well, I mean, Freelancers Union defines freelancing very broadly. And in terms of the research we do and who we try to pull together in our membership, um, we really take a broad approach because we're really just trying to capture all types of people that are working out of the employment system. Uh, For the purposes of this legislation, um, we had to set some boundaries on who would be covered. Um, And so uh, for the Freelancers at Free Act, freelancers covered um, have to be sole proprietors, um, and they can be working on their own or they can be incorporated as an LLC. Um, That doesn't matter. And they have to have done $800 worth of work for a client either Mm -hmm. through one job or through multiple over the course of four months. So there's sort of a minimum threshold of work um, and who can be um, included in the legislation. So we're going to continue talking about this. We have to take a quick break. So we're talking with Caitlin Pierce from the Freelancers Union. And stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the business show that will change the way you look at your business practice, your organization, and yourself. This is Let's Get Radical with Liz Gold and Jody Paydar. On today's show, you'll get the straight scoop on what it means to be radical and how it can help you become the next success story. Now, here are your hosts, Jody and Liz. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Advance and Evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. 
to reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Padar. And today we're talking with Caitlin Pierce, the Director of Member Engagement at the Freelancers Union, the nation's largest group representing the growing independent workforce. They have, uh, ooh, they have a lot of members, 300,000 members. So before the break, we were talking with Caitlin about um, the definition of a freelancer, because I know a lot of people wonder, you know, what's the difference between a freelancer and a solopreneur and and an entrepreneur and a sole proprietor? You know, there's a lot of language out there. So, you know, Caitlin, can you tell us sort of, let's talk, let's continue talking about that. Like how, how do you think, what do you guys think about the term solopreneur and, and do you use that sort of interchangeably with freelancer? Yeah. I mean, I think what we see is there's a lot of different terminology that, um, that, that solo workers are using to define what their business looks like or what their work practices look like, self-employed. Um, you know, for us, the biggest distinction um, that we feel is really important is uh, around, you know, whether or not you are connected to an employer or whether or not you're working on your own, right? So if you're um, a W-2 employer, you're, of course, entitled to a whole suite of different um, labor protections, you know, the right to a safe work environment, the protections against discrimination, um, there's wage and hour protections, and, you know, as mm-hmm. a freelancer, as a 1099 worker, you're cut out of many of those. Um, and so our big goal was to find a way to look at these workers who, you know, may be thinking of themselves as a small business, rightfully so, maybe thinking of themselves more as a freelance worker or an independent contractor, but to ensure that people working on their own um, have more protections that are there to support them when ultimately, you know, when conflicts arise, it ends up oftentimes being an individual versus a company. And as an individual, you don't have a lot of leverage. Um, So if you're a freelancer... If you're a freelancer and you hire someone to work for you, does that mean you've just graduated to small business? <laughs> um, I think that um, what we see is a lot of our freelancers will have other, either other freelancers they work with on a project basis um, or a, an employees. Um, we would consider you a small business if you had an employee. Okay. Got it. So, Jody, do you have any other questions regarding this? Because, I mean, I feel like we've always talked about, you know, I remember we were interviewing somebody, I think it was at um, a conference we were at, and we were talking about how, you know, we were using the term solopreneur. And he had was like, what? What's a solopreneur? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, and I for, for me, it's like I, I feel like I am a small business. I mean, even though it's just me and I'm a solopreneur, like I, I run my operation like a business. I mean, I feel like, you you know, you really have to, you have to have a contract. You have to know the prices you, that you're putting out there. You have to like have some boundaries with clients. Like I know I've worked with clients where it's like, you know, they want something really fast and then I give it to them and, you know, a doc, a, a draft of something. And then I don't hear from them for six weeks. And so I had to put in some sort of, 
you know, provisions in my contract that says, okay, you have 48 hours to get this back to me. Otherwise I'm going to consider it final or, you know, maybe that's a little dramatic, but you know, so, um, you know, and I feel like, and I, yeah, I feel like that's the responsibility of the freelancer, but sometimes you just go in blind and you don't really realize what you need. So that's why it's good to have organizations like freelancers union that can give you the resources and sort of the network, uh, to connect with other people that are doing the same thing that you are. Well, and I think it's changing too, because, um, because the economy as a whole is changing, right? It's the whole um, connected economy or whatever with like the Uber and now anyone can Uber, right? Or anyone can do all these side jobs that before there were people who did side jobs, but it wasn't necessarily, there wasn't, I, I don't know if there wasn't just the knowledge to do it or the opportunity to do it. So um, I think that the whole freelance economy is growing exponentially. And so that like, it's really important that we have these rules, but I guess it's just important that we define who, who they apply to because too, I know that there are a lot of, um, small businesses or I, I won't even say small businesses, they're freelancers who, um, for incorporation purposes, um, do become an S-corp because there's a, there's an absolutely a tax benefit for them there. And just because now they're an S-corp, even though I would still consider them a freelancer at heart, it's one person with a handful of contractors, now they no longer qualify under the freelancer definition, which I think is going to have to evolve over time because I think there's not just me, not just me who's confused, but I think a lot of people in the world are confused as to what makes a small business versus a solopreneur versus a freelancer. So it's great that we have um, advocates for freelancers, whatever corporate structure they take. Yeah, I mean, I think you're touching on a really important point, which is that just across the board, um, labor legislation and the idea of what, you know, how we're providing a social safety net for people is really becoming outdated, especially when you're thinking about the ways the multiple different types of income streams many people um, working this way are combining and, you know, where those distinctions become meaningful or not. You know, in our um, latest report that we issued this year that was sizing the workforce, you know, we found it was 38% of the workforce was freelancing, but those people weren't necessarily, you know, your full-time independent contractors. It was a combination of people doing a lot of varieties of work, and about a quarter of them were actually moonlighters, so people that had a full-time W-2 job that were doing this work on top of it. Um, you know, another quarter of them were people that were combining, um, you know, some part-time work with some gig work um, in different ways. And so it, it really complicates things because we want to capture how people are working, what the economic impact of is on this work, and then how we think about things like from, you know, labor protections to unemployment to health insurance, it becomes very complicated um, when you're sort of mired in these old school definitions. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was just curious, you know, when you got, what has changed for you all as an organization since you, you formed, you know, like what are, and maybe we are touching upon some of the, the changes, but you know, what I think you said you, you formed in 95. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And so what is what has changed since, you know, you guys formed to where you are today in terms of, you know, challenges for freelancers or, you know, 
the advocacy work that you do. Um, I'm just curious. I mean, it's, you know, obviously that's a big time span. So, um, I'm just curious what, what, what's changed. Um, I think, you know, in some ways, a lot of our core issues have stayed the same. Um, you know, we've certainly since then seen a tremendous growth in freelance work. Um, and we've seen it move across most industries, right? So, um, you know, I think, at that time, and with that sort of changing attitudes about work, at that time, we I think that freelance was sort of either thought to be something that some people in creative fields and cities do, or it was sort of a euphemism for being underemployed. Um, and now we really see, especially a younger generation who are entering the job market without that expectation of, I'm going to find a full-time job with benefits and that you know, and we'll stay there for 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not the way people are working and thinking about um, building skills or navigating having a career. So I think those changes have been really prevalent. Um, slowly, we've seen some more recognition from policymakers that this workforce exists. A lot of that has mm-hmm. been floated in recent years with the, with the rise of these new job platforms because they've become a really highly visible way to see that there's a new form of work happening, right? So we right. hear all these conversations about Uber and the sharing economy. And for us, these are important conversations because they're really an emerging form of work that seems to be growing quickly. But for us, they really represent only a small part of the way we see this workforce earning income. So we feel like it's a much bigger conversation. And then, of course, the other key change has really been, uh, since the beginning, we've been focused on ways to group our members together so that they could access affordable health insurance. Um, and we've done that in different ways over the years, including having our own health insurance company. And we've really continued to transition that model with the Affordable Care Act, um, which did a lot to really help freelancers um, who were able to access subsidies um, and thus get more affordable access to care. But we found even with that legislation um, and sort of in general in the policymaking world of people that want to do things to help workers, freelancers do still really feel like a square peg in a round hole where they're often not really well understood and their needs often aren't being met by these types of policies. We find our members are often in a crunch so, yeah, that's... Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Because I know, like, even the freelancers that I work with, it's like everything's built for employees or for companies. And then, like, and then who's left behind is the freelancers and and how how do they fit in? And so I think... Um, and I think what you said about how it's bringing more light to it is there probably always has been this moonlighting economy. And I know it's always been there, but it just seems like because of the platforms of like Uber and all these other um, sharing economy or gig gig platforms that now all of a sudden everyone's like talking about it, even though they've always been there like for years. But now it's like it it's brought freelancers to being kind of trendy. Yeah, yeah, we're exactly. we're hip to the beach, freelancers. <laughs> <laughs> um, One of the things we see, despite all of it, is that freelancers really tend to love freelancing for the most part. Um, yeah. You know, we found over and over again that the majority of them choose freelancing, um, and uh, and even among those who don't, 
they tend to find, um, particularly when they have the autonomy and flexibility and they're really able to occupy an entrepreneurial space, that they're, they have much higher levels of job satisfaction and they, they really do feel like they're, um, they want to be their own boss and they want to be able to be putting their work life together in a way that's meaningful for them. So we see them kind of saying, this way of working is actually working for me. I just, it sucks that none of these supports are designed around my life and, and how right. I want to be working. Well, so what what's happening though, because of the trendiness of it, which I think is actually a good thing, is people are starting to look at freelancers um, are trying to group them so that they can serve them better. So for example, I'm doing, um, I was recruited to do a session on the gig economy for CPAs to teach CPAs how to work with more freelancers. And I would say, as I'm putting together the session that I've always known how I should work with a freelancer, but because of its kind of trendiness with the gig economy now, um, at one of our CPA conferences, they've created a session around it, even though most CPAs have worked with freelancers for, like you said, you've been around for, you know, 20 years, have worked with freelancers for over 20 years, but now we're kind of making it all sexy and we're calling it the gig economy. And we're, we're going to create, I'll say products or services to actually help them more, which I think is a really good thing because now they'll be able to say, Hey, like, this is what I need from a CPA as opposed to being like, oh, I have a bunch of 1099. Yeah. And I would say also that a lot, I would say freelancers, I mean, I, I guess I'll speak for myself is that working with a CPA, it's just like, oh my God, they're so expensive. And what am I going to, you know, I worked with a CPA and he charged me at the end of the year and I heard from him at my tax time. And I was like, this is a lot of money for this one thing that I'm getting, you know? So I found a different, um, you know, tax group that did my taxes and they were specifically for creative freelancers and, um, artists, you know? And so I think that there is, and maybe I'm wrong and Caitlin, you can correct me, but like CPAs sometimes are, I think, intimidating for people, for, for freelancers, even though freelancers know that they need to get their money in order to make more money and they need, they need, you know, somebody to help them, create their business, structure their business and, and be somebody that they can talk to about their business. But, you know, I think that they're, I think CPAs need to do some work to make themselves a little bit more accessible. That's just my personal opinion. And maybe Jody through your, you think we're kind of grumpy. <laughs> it's not grumpy. <laughs> I think they're just kind of like a little intimidating and a little, and a lot expensive, you know, for freelancers. And, um, that's my own personal opinion, but I also know that it's important to invest in people that are going to, um, grow your business and give you worthwhile advice. So that's just my own two cents on that issue, but it'll be interesting to see what your, your, uh, workshop is going to be like, I'm sure it's going to be great. You know, you work with a ton of freelancers and, uh, creative people. So, you know, hopefully well, I just think, yeah. I, I just think the whole idea of it is to help freelancers get more exposure to like, so if, if CPAs can learn more about freelancing and understand the gig economy better. Right. And then they can tailor how they work with freelancers. Everybody's going to win. Right. Cause then, yep. because I mean, even like Uber now has an app that calculates how much estimated taxes they have to pay. And it's actually right in like the Uber app. So when people get paid from Uber, they find out how much should go to estimated taxes. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's phenomenal. Like that's information that freelancers never had before. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, yeah, I would say one of the hard things we've seen for our folks is that, you know, it's just really difficult to, most of us aren't expected in the world to be great graphic designers or amazing writers or beautiful photographers and also know how to run a business and also know how to find clients and also, you know, be financially savvy in in, in the mm-hmm. ways that freelancers are really expected to. We find that across the board, it's really hard as a individual to um, to to take that all on yourself and do it successfully. Um, and we've certainly always, we definitely have a culture in Brooklyn of having a lot of CPAs and other and lawyers and other professionals who are who have realized this is a huge market and have found ways to um, sort of brand themselves and tailor themselves to be attractive to that community. And I think in recent years, it's been kind of amazing just uh, um, different tech companies and tech solutions that are that have been oriented around, you know, freelance invoicing and how to manage your workflow and productivity. Mm-hmm. And there's products that can do any number of different things for freelancers now to help them with their back end. One of the areas I think will be really interesting to see is, um, you know, for our members, like there's still these basic challenges, even if you have great, um, a great CPA or um, great people in your corner helping to advise you. Um, access to capital is a big thing that our members struggle with. Um, you know, just the ability to be a freelancer and um, try to get a mortgage and show that you have absolutely stability of income. And I think like one of the next things as this becomes more mainstream is like how are how are financial institutions going to evolve to serve this marketplace? Because there's a lot of, I mean, for them, there's money to be made, and there's a lot of freelancers that um, that just need better access to these things. Well, right. and I think that, I mean, that came with, like, kind of the mortgage fallout, right? So, like, before you used to be able to have stated mortgages, and you could say you made whatever you wanted, and it was really easy to get a mortgage, and then all of a sudden, like, the mortgage crisis hit. And now um, even anyone who owns a small business, regardless of if they're a freelancer or not, has a lot more strict way of, you know, qualifying, but I, I totally understand how freelancers totally, um, like don't get access to that capital. Or the other thing is, is like working with cash flow even, right? Because that's how this legislation is going to help. Because if you have to pay in 30 day or in your new law, I thought you, I think it was within 30 days or whatever, but mm-hmm. now actually they'll get paid right away as opposed to 90 days. Cause 90 days is huge. If you have to pay your rent, et cetera, like you have to have so much more saved to work through those cash flow issues, which as a freelancer are hard until you get some regular clients. The other issue that we didn't even talk about yet, and we need to um, uh, probably take a break and and I'm not sure, but the other issue is, is what about um, when we're talking about cash flow is what about the piece where the legislation comes in on the other side and tells to the company and says, you know what, they're not a 1099 employee. They're really um, a regular employee and you can call them a freelancer, but they're really not because they're not being controlled by themselves, right? They're working um, for you nine to five 
and, and so that's the other side, like the employment side where a lot of people try and make actual W-2 employees and they want to give them a 1099 because they don't want to pay the employment taxes on them. So they call them a freelancer. So does your organization um, touch on that at all? Yeah, I mean, we find that, you know, misclassification is a huge problem, particularly when looking at specific sectors of the freelance workforce. And um, one of the big things we did with our bill was to make sure that if you're filing a claim under our legislation, um, that it's not precluding your ability to file a claim later that you were misclassified. Um, Because if that turns out to be the case, then, you know, there's there's a whole other structure in place where you can go to the Department of Labor and and um, and file a claim that way and potentially, um, you know, we didn't want to prohibit that at all with our legislation. So that was really important to us. You know, in No, general, I think that's great. Yeah, what we're really focused on um, organizationally, though, is less on misclassification issues um, and more on helping freelancers who really are freelancers who just don't have any, um, you know, any group that's organizing them. Um, And so that's really been our focus. Although there's many groups out there that are working on this classification. We're going to talk more about freelancers and what's coming down the pike for 2017. We're talking to Caitlin Pierce of the Freelancers Union. So stay tuned. We're going to go to a quick break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information.
listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Jody Paydar, and I'm here with Liz Gold, and we are talking all about freelancing. And I have to give a quick shout out to Intuit, um, who has tons of products to actually help freelancers do their accounting, because like that's one of their favorite things in the world to do. And um, also Avalara, who can help them with their sales tax, because I think a lot of freelancers don't even realize that they may be subject to sales tax if they're making something or selling something. Um, so Avalara is there as well to help them, but you know, we've been talking to Caitlin Pierce and we've been learning all about her organization that really advocates for freelancers. And I, you know, she has this wealth of information because she's working with all types of different freelancers. So I would like to ask you, Caitlin, like, what do you see like the most common or the biggest problems that freelancers encounter, um, on a daily basis? Oh, goodness. Um, I think the biggest uh, challenge that we see is that, you know, as I said before, as a freelancer, you have to wear so many hats and you're not going to know how to do everything all of yourself on your own. Um, and so one of the biggest mistakes we feel like freelancers can make is really by going it alone. Um, you mm. know, you should really make sure that you have a network of other freelancers and entrepreneurs that you can uh, be connected with. And this is really helpful for, you know, building referral networks so that you can get a steady stream of clients and then just having people to troubleshoot issues with or to find out, you know, who has a great CPA or a lawyer that you can talk to. Um, You know, freelancers are often at home working alone and that can be really hard to stay productive and to be, you know, really doing your best and learning and growing when you're isolated. So, you know, one of the things Freelancers Union does is we have these monthly meetups for our members of freelancers in all industries called Spark. That's the first Wednesday of every month. And we make sure that there's a space where freelancers can get together and talk about an educational topic, but also just talk to each other about issues they're having and what other freelancers did to solve it. And any problem you're probably having as a freelancer, there's probably someone else in the room who has had it and at least has a solution for what worked or what didn't. Yeah, I agree. I've been to one of those Spark events and it was really fun. And I actually reconnected with somebody that I had met, I don't know, years before. And we were like, hey, and he's in motion graphics and I'm a writer. And it was, you know, and uh, there's wine and it's like, we, you know, people there's wine, which always helps, you know, (laughs) but it's like, you know, it was, it was really fun. And usually there's a topic and, you know, a facilitated discussion. Um, but Caitlin, I think you're right. Like there are a lot of new resources and tools out there, technology, you know, to help freelancers, um, you know, do their bookkeeping, do their invoicing, do that, make contracts, like, um, you know, keep track of their projects. You know, I think one thing is major is like, you know, keeping track of like what's going on with your clients, you know, um, and where they are in certain projects. Cause a lot of times you have to be on top of that, you know? Um, and I think that there are more and more vendors that are, um, coming forward to really create things for so, this step for, the, for these people. 
I have a question as far as um, like kind of this whole sharing economy. Do you think that the platforms that are supposed to be facilitating work to the freelancers are actually good for the freelancers? Or do you think they've kind of commoditized their market and freelancers, although they have access to more opportunities, those opportunities aren't as good as they used to be because they're commoditized because, you know, you can get $5 to get a logo instead of like having a graphic artist charge you whatever a graphic artist would cost to get a logo. That's a good question, Jody. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess I would probably say yes to both of those questions. I think that, you know, it's sort of a complicated picture because, um, you know, having the opportunity to have remote work, um, and if you're a freelancer and you don't live in a major city or you want to live in someplace more affordable, um, the platforms do provide an easier sort of uh, less of a barrier to entry if you wanted to either get started doing freelance work or you are doing bigger projects and you find that you don't have any work for two weeks, it's an easy way to pick up additional income. So we mm -hmm. find a lot of our members rely on the platforms in different ways and find them helpful. Um, I do agree there's some real challenges when these platforms present too much efficiency, so to speak, in the market, and you have freelancers um, in the U.S. that have to compete with um with, you know, freelancers around the world, and it becomes really a race to the bottom in some areas, and we're, we're very concerned about that. That is not necessarily a new problem. It's a problem that the platforms have really intensified um, because we've always found uh, challenges among, you know, our older freelancers who have, you know, been writing for 20 years and now want to command certain rates and are finding newer freelancers coming in and undercutting them. So that idea of um, wage stagnation has it has happened sort of across the board for the freelance community. Um, but I so I think it's sort of it's a complicated problem without a clear solution. Well, right, because I feel like the sharing economy has almost like commoditized a lot of stuff. And and I'll say that even from a tax perspective, right? Like like I'm a CPA and we do tax returns, but I guarantee you can go online and now someone will do a, your tax return for for almost free, if not free. I just saw um, uh, Credit Karma is now doing tax returns. Go figure that one out. But um <laughs> but so, so I've even seen like CPA services get extremely commoditized. And, and so, um, so these platforms are really good because you get all this, um, you get all this access, but on the flip side, it's very hard to distinguish yourself as saying that you're better than the guy who's sitting next to you and he's charging, you know, $200 cheaper or, or whatever. So, um, I would think too, a lot of that would have to go back to helping the freelancers learn to stick up for their right for their rates and why they should be charging X and not just $15 an hour that they do have overhead, that they do have costs. They have to pay for their health insurance. They have to pay for, um, all these other things and that their rates should be not $15 an hour. Their rates should be $40 an hour, $50 an hour, a hundred dollars an hour, whatever it is. Cause I, cause I hear that conversation all the time where these freelancers are like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go to freelancing, but I'm only going to charge $15 an hour. And I'm thinking, yeah, you don't want to be a freelancer if you're only charging $15 an hour. You won't even cover your minimum yeah. wages and the taxes that you owe. Right. Well, there's formulas out there to figure out your your rate, whether you do that hourly or you do that, you know, flat rate. And I mean, there's, 
you know, there's so many uh, threads and articles and information about that out there on, you know, how much you should really be charging. And I think it depends on where you actually live, too. Like, if you're charging $15 in New York City, you're crazy, you know, an hour. Um, You know, and that brings me to my next question, Caitlin. Like, you know, what are some of the freelance-friendly cities in the in in the country i mean obviously new york and i would say like a lot of the major cities but are you know what are some other cities that we may be surprised by huh i mean i think it depends how you define it like we we're so proud to have passed this legislation now for freelancers in new york city that we really see new york as being a leader um i think that what we're also seeing is a lot of freelancers um are, as I said, finding ways to access the great work opportunities in a lot of cities like, you know, San Francisco and Los Angeles and Portland and Chicago and New York, but not necessarily living there. Um, We've seen a trend Mm. of freelancers who, um, you know, who are really feeling squeezed by the costs of living in big cities and are increasingly accessing remote work opportunities, whether they be through platforms or just through their own relationships. Um, to be able to move to less expensive places where there's more of a work-life balance. Um, that's one thing we hear a lot from our members. It's part of the reason I freelance is because I'm a caretaker or, you know, because I have a creative project or I'm doing something that this work has to balance with. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I just think that's a really interesting trend we're seeing and, and we'll expect to see the growth of some of these, uh, these less expensive cities. And so if somebody wanted to start freelancing, you know, and they've never done it before and they were like, this, I think this is going to be for me. What are, what are like, say the first three things they should do? I think that they should make sure that they have ideally three to six months at least of living expenses saved up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that they should, I don't think that you should make the leap to freelancing all at once. If you are already have a work situation or a source of income, there's, there's no reason why you shouldn't do it over time. So starting with, you know, trying to cultivate one client or project um, and then trying to build that out and finding and sort of setting yourself up for success by having some routine work that you can lean on as you're developing your network and your client base. And it sort of depends a little bit based on what industry you're in. But I think just going into it cold turkey, you're going to end up saying yes to a lot of things you probably want to say no to. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, that's a problem for everyone, you know, whether it's working for underneath your rate or working for a client you're worried might not pay you um, on time or pay you at all. Um, but if you have as much of a sense of stability as you have underneath that through savings and some other projects you can rely on, the better. Yeah, yeah. I, to- I totally agree. Oh, and make sure you set up a tax savings account because I feel like that's the thing that burns <laughs> yeah. everyone in their first year is they get to the end of the year and they just have not saved enough money for taxes yeah. and then they're in oh. debt. That's like a yeah, minimum of 35%. 35? Well, sure, because you have 20% of self-employment tax off the top. And then even if you're in the lowest tax bracket, it's another 15%. So a minimum of 35%. Okay. Wow. All right. (laughs) I'm going to think about that. So we are about to wrap up the show, but Caitlin, what's coming down the pike in 2017 with you guys? What, What are you guys planning? 
Well, you know, for us, we're really excited in New York City to have just passed this legislation, and our big um, our big focus in New York will be on uh, on ramping up to make sure that freelancers are educated about the legislation and to think about what role we can play in helping enforce the law or getting freelancers access to um, you know the legal services they might need to be able to um, to enforce the legislation and then. Um, you know, we have really started organizing members nationally on this issue, and we want to figure out ways that we can take this New York City legislation and bring it to other cities. And then, of course, we're going to be really watching what's happening uh, nationally in terms of health care. And, um, you know, one of our big priorities is to make sure that freelancers have affordable access to health insurance. And so we're going to be watching what happens um, with the federal changing landscape and um, and ways that we can continue to bring forward new solutions and advocacy to make sure that freelancers um, can still access affordability. Great. And we've been talking to Caitlin Pierce. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for being here with us today. Um, she is the Director of Member Engagement at the Freelancers Union. You can find the Freelancers Union online at the freelancersunion.org. They're on Twitter, freelancer, freelancer. F-R-E-E-L-A-N-C-E-R-S-U. And they are also on Facebook at backslash Freelancers Union. You're listening to Let's Get Radical. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And always email us at Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. And And leave us a review if you can. Yes, leave us a review. We love reviews. And Caitlin Pierce, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a really great conversation all about freelancing. Thank you, guys. It was great. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Get Radical. Please join Liz Gold and Jody Paydar again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, it's time for you to get radical. Radical.